Okay, so I can hear you. I can hear you too. Thank God. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh wow. Jesus Christ Almighty. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, we're recording. <laughs> okay, great. Can you hear okay. me okay? Yeah, I can hear you fine. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. Well, I guess we'll be very professional now and I will explain the podcast and introduce you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is Femme Film and it is a podcast. This is its first week. I've decided to become like every other like white man in history and start a podcast during quarantine. So Femme Film all about uh, women and non-binary folk creating films and uh, basically anybody other than a cis man creating films, but uh, we're going to focus on women and non-binary people. And so our first film that we're deciding to discuss is Wonder Woman by Patty Jenkins. And we both watched it this past week and took extensive notes. So that's what we're going to be talking about this week. Did you want to like actually introduce me or do you want me to just (laughs) (laughs) I can just be that voice no one knows actually who I am but (laughs) we'll find me interesting this is Sarah Beth Van Madsen a renowned psychologist um not a renowned psychologist I mean still a student (laughs) (laughs) uh Sarah is my sister she is also a, you can, you can describe yourself so that I'm not just describing you. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm in my third year of my PhD program in psychology. I, most of my research is on like, uh, LGBTQ issues, coming out growth, um, some stuff related to conversations, uh, between people who don't share like identities and, um, the defense mechanisms that they use when discussing their own identities. So uh, I definitely am a self-proclaimed feminist. Um, I'm also a bisexual woman. Um, and so lots, uh, lots that I love about talking about women in film, even though I'm not at all a film critic or have anything remotely probably interesting to say about film itself no (laughs) no I can at least talk about feminist issues you're a woman who likes film so that's all that we are (laughs) Um, (laughs) I myself let me let me go over my credentials um I'm straight um I mostly uh I I don't study anything I am a waitress didn't study film didn't study psychology (laughs) um so what I have going for me is that I'm an actor who is a woman. So very qualified to be talking about all of this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you definitely are. You watched films before kids should even probably watch films. So. That's true. That's true. Well, uh, we decided this week to talk true. about Wonder Woman because it does feel like a very accessible movie. <laughs> yep. I'm so sorry. I'm noticing that my dog Newt is crawling off the bed which means that he'll most likely have an accident in about 15 seconds <laughs> okay hold on I'm not gonna finish this recording because if I finish it we're gonna lose it so I'm just gonna let it keep going yep and then I'll edit it out later we're back everybody 
Um, okay. I think that first we've got the introduction. We've said who you are. We've said who I am. My name is Brianna. I don't know if I mentioned that. (laughs) I'm sure that that nobody will be listening to this who doesn't know who I am, but, uh, Brianna and Sarah Van Dusen, Van Madsen, respectively. And (laughs) one, one straight woman, one queer woman. Hilarious. We're, (laughs) we're a fun, a real duo. Um, Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so we're so, drinking red wine. Normally, yes. I would, <laughs> Brianna lets her guests choose what the two will drink. Since we're in quarantine right now, we're having to very sadly drink alone <laughs> without one another uh-huh. in our actual spaces. But I chose red wine because I did drink a little bit too much hard liquor a couple of nights ago, and that's still setting <laughs> wrong with me. <laughs> so, so I chose red wine instead, gave my gut a little okay. break. That's good. What are you drinking? What is your red wine? Let's see. My red wine came in a pack of red wines, so most of them I can't oh, pronounce. That's the best, best way to do it. Uh, I don't know what kind of wine this is. La Mancha? I don't know. Mm, I have no idea. Fancy. La Mancha, it's from uh, De España. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Spain. Mine, it's from Spain. Yeah, just Spanish Spain. Yeah, there you go. I love Spain. <laughs> um, mine is La Crema. It's from the Sonoma Coast. Mm. <laughs> it's a 2016 Pinot Noir. Uh, comes from the shelves of Susan and Camp Van Dusen <laughs> because I am out three jobs and don't have the money to buy my own wine. So there you go. I'll be relying on mom and dad to supply me with my alcohol. There's no shame in that. Yeah, so we're both drinking red wine. Uh, typically, Sarah would have me drinking whiskey, which I think is, you know, nectar of the devil. <laughs> but today it's wine. For a future and recording. I think we should, exactly. I think that we should also get some shorthands out of the way. We've got mom and dad. That is a shared entity between Sarah and myself. We've got uh, Chase, who is Sarah's partner. We have Mark, who is my partner. We have Tammy, who is my roommate, and Newt, who is my dog. I feel like those are <laughs> some good shorthands. And Elle and Dobby are Sarah's dogs. Yep. So if we use those names, now you know who we're talking about. If you need to remember those names, come back to minute 845 <laughs> and you can learn them all again. <laughs> all right, cool. Okay, so uh, again, we... we are talking about Wonder Woman by Patty Jenkins. It is the highest grossing, no, highest budget film that a woman has ever directed. It was $150 million was the budget and ended up grossing that and a lot more. So obviously she's like in the upper echelons of women directors. Um, And I figured maybe here at the beginning, I would go over some history of how Wonder Woman was created. Mm, If that's okay. Let's do that. Okay, so this will be a little bit of a slog, but I'll try and keep it kind of interesting. All right, so perfect that we have Sarah on today because of her studying psychology. The person that created Wonder Woman, some of you might know, is actually a psychologist, or was a psychologist rather. His name is Dr. William Moulton Marston. And for a long time, people didn't know who created Wonder Woman. And then it was unearthed that it was this psychologist. So if you step back a little bit, 
Uh, DC, as it eventually came to be known, was first called All American Comics. That was started by Maxwell Charles Gaines. And Gaines had these comic books and, you know, Superman was being created and Batman was being created. And, and there were people at the time that thought that these comics were incredibly violent and sexually violent. And some people genuinely thought that it was going to um, basically corrupt the youth of America and that, <laughs> that it would raise a violent youth. So that was the argument. And so Gaines decided, well, how can I, how can I get people off my back and stop getting censored or attempts to get censored? How can I stop that from happening? So he ended up hearing about William Marston, Dr. William Marston. And Dr. William Marston had, um, had talked about the importance of comic books and how his professional opinion was that they were a positive and net positive in society. He had read this article. Uh, interestingly enough, this article that he read was written by the doctor's mistress. But we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> so he he read this article and decided, well, there's an upstanding citizen. He seems pretty square. And if I get him on an advisory board, that's going to seem like I take this very seriously and I care about the youth of America and it's very wholesome. So he did end up recruiting Dr. William Marston to be part of his uh, comic book world, his, his company. And again, they eventually became DC. Um, now, back to the article that he had read. So he had read this article that was written by Olive Byrne, is her name. And she, uh, she was writing about William Marston's opinion on comic books, like I said already. But Olive was not just some, like, reporter that thought that he was interesting she was actually his mistress and mistress isn't even really the correct word she was actually his second wife in a thruppling they were a thruple so yeah had dr marston <laughs> he i know Amazing. I love a <laughs> and it was it's actually a really beautiful romance between three people it's like oh, it's kind of like a heartwarming story to yeah me. so he was already married to elizabeth holloway and then here's the creepy part. This is the, this is the weird part where it's on the line and you can make your own conclusions. We can talk about it if we want to. He was teaching at, I don't know, Harvard. And he had a, a student, Olive, who he ended up having an affair with and falling in love with. And then he told his wife, Elizabeth Holloway, you can, you can either accept that Olive is going to be a part of our life and I'm going to have her in my life as well, or you can leave me. And Elizabeth was like, hmm, you make a really enticing offer. I think I'll stay. Maybe she was also so, into Olive. <laughs> honestly, maybe. We only have, you know, the history. We only have the history that we've, like, all decided to accept. So maybe it was, it's hard for people to accept that she was into it as well. And came along, came around to the idea of it. So he ended up being with Olive and Elizabeth. And again, this is Dr. Marston's, Dr. Marston, Elizabeth Holloway, and Olive Burns. They all ended up living together. And in this like 10-year period, uh, both women ended up having two sons for him each. Oh, which is oh no. So, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So they ended up both having two children each. Now, Olive's children didn't know for a long time that he was their dad. Um, but then eventually it came out and, and I guess it was just accepted, but they all lived together as a thruple. Like they were all a married, a married trio. Um, now 
pivoting a little bit back to that article that uh, that uh, Olive had written about him, uh, one thing that he said in it, he said um, that these comic books, some of them are full of torture, kidnapping, sadism, and other cruel business. Unfortunately, that is true. But when a lovely heroine is bound to the stake, comics followers are sure that the rescue will arrive in the nick of time. The reader's wish is to save the girl, not to see her suffer. So he 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 kind of gets this this reputation as a very sadistic writer but really like his goal in the end was to to see the women rescued or eventually to be the rescuer themselves um so anyways uh so pivoting back pivoting back so olive actually in an interesting twist she is the niece of margaret sanger who i'm sure you know who margaret sanger is she was an important suffragist Mm -hmm. and feminist in the early 1900s and she actually, she and her sister, who was Olive's mother, Ethel, they opened the first birth control clinic in the United States. Mm, cool. So, and they were both, they both ended up being jailed for providing contraceptives. Heroes. Women. And her, what oh, you They're say? heroes. Oh, they truly are. They're, they're amazing. And so that was Margaret and Ethel Sanger. And Ethel ended up going on hunger strike in jail and she almost died. And these women, they just have, both of those women ended up having these amazing suffragist feminist lives. And that actually went on to inspire a lot of Wonder Woman eventually, because uh, Dr. Marston himself was a huge feminist and was part of that movement. But they ended up hiding a lot of that history and those connections to Margaret Sanger. So, um, so in this marriage... Byrne ended Olive Byrne ended up staying home and raising the children while Elizabeth Holloway and and Dr. Marston both worked. Um, and Dr. Marston living this very unconventional life, he has this quote that he said in a magazine in 1939. He said, "Tolerant people are the happiest. So why not get rid of costly prejudices that hold you back?" And he listed the six most common types of prejudice. And he said that the the number six prejudice was a prejudice against unconventional people and nonconformists. And that meant the most to him. So he was so passionate about allowing people to live these unconventional lives, him being mm-hmm. one of them, which I find honestly just so cool for that time period that a man, which I get that there's like this weird connotation of him being married to two women and kind of like getting the best of both worlds. But at the same time, he, he genuinely, in my opinion, was just he was in love with both women and I think that he also genuinely wanted these women to have their own independent lives Mm -hmm. as well is how it seems to me. Uh, So Gaines, the starter of DC, he ends up forming this advisory board with Marston on it. And um, Marston said, since the comics worst offense was their blood curdling masculinity, the best way to fend off critics would be to create a female superhero which I love that term of blood curdling mm-hmm. masculinity. Like he, he genuinely thought that was the worst part of comic books. Okay. I have to stop Newt from chewing on whatever he's chewing on. Hold on one second. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bothersome. You can chew on this on your bed. Okay. <sighs> he has a bone and all he hears it click clacking. Okay. So, so yeah, he viewed the masculinity aspect of comic books as what was yeah super interesting and so he thought creating this female superhero was gonna kind of save Mm -hmm. comic books so in february 1941 he submitted a draft of his first script 
explaining the under meaning of Wonder Woman's Amazonian origins in ancient Greece, where men had kept women in chains until they broke free and escaped. He said the new women, thus freed and strengthened by supporting themselves, developed enormous physical and mental power. And he, decided, he said that this was a great movement now underway, the growth in the power of women. Okay, I have to, he's fucking chewing on this. It's just... <laughs> All right, so, so yeah, so his idea of these Amazonian women, which do root back <clears throat> to ancient Greece, but also um, real women, there were real Amazonian women that like the, the fables all came from, and they lived somewhere near the Mediterranean, and they were incredibly strong, and they were warriors, and they, um, they, there, I read this great article about them that said that they, they hunted men and they mm. loved them. I, I thought that was kind of a great way to describe them. But so the Amazonian women really do have roots in mm. history and were one in three of every of these, uh, one in three of these women were all warriors and they were all buried with like daggers and swords mm. and armor and they were all tattooed like all over their wow. bodies. So that's kind of like the history the actual factual history. And that's what um, he was pulling from. So, okay. Yeah. He was pulling from these Amazonian myths, but in recent years, we've come to realize that those myths were really rooted in oh, okay, gotcha. truth. Um, so he was, but he was bringing up because Amazonian women are kind of part of Greek, uh, like Greco Roman mm-hmm. history, Greco Roman myth, mythology. And so he was pulling from that because he truly believed that, women could be shown in these really powerful ways and that was really how women should be in present time and he actually said that he was creating Wonder Woman as a sort of propaganda to like build women up because he believed that that type of woman should Hmm. rule the world and he believed that because women he thought and his wife thought this Elizabeth Holloway thought this as well women were more naturally endowed to be loving and so if they were already more naturally endowed to be loving, then they were also bound to be smarter and stronger and more capable given mm. the opportunity. Like they could end up saving the world in a mm, way that that's awesome. um, Which is really wonderful. And obviously take what take from it what mm-hmm. you will, because I'm sure that there are plenty of women that are not very sure. loving. <laughs> but but I do like the idea that like women are endowed with these things that men are not endowed with. And so why couldn't women lead mm-hmm. in a better way? Um, all right. So, so they create wonder woman. Um, she ends up getting put on the blacklist, uh, for, from basically, um, like a censorship committee committee. She gets put on the blacklist due to her being insufficiently dressed. <laughs> And uh, so then flash forward, Gaines begins consulting with Loretta Bender. Oh, my God. I'm going to have to put this dog in the Tammy's room. (laughs) Then you've got the creator of DC Comics. He started consulting with Loretta Bender, who was a psychiatrist at NYU and Bellevue Hospital. Um, Now, she was a psychologist who her husband actually died right after she gave birth to one of her children. And so she was left with these three children alone. And so she began to study how children Mm. cope with trauma because obviously her children were dealing with trauma. And so she wanted Mm. to understand it better. And she ended up interviewing um, dozens of children. And she concluded that comic books of the time were the new folklore of this age. And they worked the same way that fables and fairy tales did. She came to that conclusion because she interacted with a boy who had been raped at a young age and a girl who had been um, who had been really heavily traumatized and saw her father murdered. And both of those children connected with comic books and the girl would call herself this uh, hero's name 
and it was this or she sorry she would call herself this particular character's name and it was a damsel character but she called herself that name from this comic book because that character was always rescued by a hero and then the boy who had been raped at a young age when he put on a superman costume a superhero cape he felt stronger and more invincible and would talk about mm. what happened to him and he felt more confident. And so she realized almost like play therapy, that these children were connecting to comic books in a way that made them feel stronger rather than weaker or more violent um, mm-hmm. or disconnected. Um, so that was her view on it. And I think that gave Gaines more uh, resolve to continue with these comic books because he thought, okay, well, she agrees with it flashboards and more. Uh, we have some people, we have some people that take, take issue with the fact that she's constantly in bondage because Wonder Woman was constantly chained up and roped up in all of these comics. And there was definitely some like heavily explicit and sexual nature and tones to the Wonder mm-hmm. Woman comic books. Um, and even Dorothy Rubicek, who was an editor of Wonder Woman and also the first woman editor at DC, she's pretty dope. She objected to the torture as well. And this is the one part where Dr. Marston annoys me. He says, of course I wouldn't expect Miss Rubicek to understand all this. After all, I have devoted my entire life to working out psychological principles. Miss R has been in comics only six months or so, hasn't she? And never in psychology. But the secret of woman's allure is that women enjoy submission and being bound. Oh, I suddenly hate him. I take back every good thing so far. I (laughs) (laughs) I know. Okay, so then that's the thing is he's like this complicated character where like, yes, he's a feminist and yes, he like really championed women's rights. And yes, obviously there are kinks and you can't shame somebody for kinks, but he has this idea that all women share Mm -hmm. that same kink. And that's like, that's just across the board. All women experience the same desire to be bound. And that feeds in, of course, to like rape culture and whatnot. So exactly, exactly. So and it gets more complicated as we go forward. So I'm almost I'm almost done with this history. So um, so that was that was uh, him responding to uh, Rubicek, this female writer. And Rubicek, actually, interestingly enough, had worked on Superman, and she was the one who came up with Kryptonite. And uh, so she was this really this really powerful woman at the time. And Gaines wanted her to go interview this Doctor Bender, that female mm-hmm. psychologist that I told you about. And Gaines wanted her to go talk to Bender to see what Binder thought about it. He was like, get her opinion on it and let's figure this out if we need to keep these chains or if we need to totally change mm-hmm. the, the comic book. So Rubicek ended up going and meeting with her and uh, and Binder actually said that she thought that it was um, that it was fine. And I, I didn't put the quote in here, but she basically said that she, from reading the Wonder Woman comic strips, decided that Marston had a really great handle on the female sex and that he was bringing to light issues between the sexes, and that he was showing that the issue isn't between man and female, but rather how they relate to each other. And she was like, and the body is fine. (laughs) So, I know. So they ended up, Gaines was like, okay, well, she says it's fine, so it's fine. Um, Now, Marston did decide that he knew what line not to cross, and he said... Harmless erotic fantasies are terrific. It's the lousy ones you have to look out for. The harmful, destructive, morbid erotic fixations. Real sadism, killing, bloodletting, torturing, where the pleasure is in the victim's actual pain, etc. Those are 100% bad and I won't have any part of them. And so I do think that he almost tempers how he feels in a way where he says, hey, bondage is fine and this kind of like almost BDSM is fine, but 
you have to always almost have consent. Sure. It's like well, how and it feels. It seems like the um, like part of the issue is that like is that like Wonder Woman then that means is made into an objectification, uh, an, an object, a, a sexual object within the right within the comic books as opposed to you know a her- a heroine you know a heroine right right and I do think it's like that fine line and I think that was what people were wrestling with at the time was what is she really which is interesting that they were wrestling with it in a way because I think people at the time were more concerned about it being overtly sexual and didn't necessarily care about the objectification Mm. of it um but that definitely is like that's how that's how it comes across to me is like well it's objectification and she's being tied up and bound Mm -hmm. and so is she really heroic um, because there also was lots of sexual innuendo in the comic books as well at the time. Uh, so that's going on and it really like, it really takes up the rest of his life because he died in the forties and it really takes up like the rest of his life is constantly battling, you know, these people that didn't believe it was right. And, um, um, but here is where we get to a very interesting caveat. All right. So we've already learned about all of the complicated history of William Marston. But this is where it really does get interesting. So Wonder Woman, one of the common themes is like her her own rope, her like truth rope, and um, like her lasso of truth. And then also um, just like ropes and chains in general. That was like a constant theme. Yeah, it really um, seems like, it really seems and like Marston has an infatuation with it. <laughs> and like he's putting it in there because he's really into it. Well, for sure, for sure. Maybe he's putting it so much into the story because he's not getting right. it at home, but that's what he wants at home. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, this is where I think it gets interesting is that, so Wonder Woman was obviously, um, she was, oh my gosh, sorry, dad's trying to call in the middle of this. Um, So, all right, so I'm sure he'll try and call you in a second. So Wonder Woman, uh, ropes and chains were like a big theme in it. Now, if you recall, they did not want to associate themselves with Margaret Sanger. Like they kind of wanted to dissociate from that just because they didn't want that tied up with wonder woman so something interesting and this is this is from two different sources so this is a long article in the smithsonian about this about wonder woman and the creators and then also it's from a book um i don't have to find the name of it uh like the secret history of wonder woman and so uh a lot of the the research that they that those two the the essay and the book did um, a lot of the research was like from diaries and letters from the major players at the time. And it turns out that chains and ropes had a lot to do with feminism and the fight for equal rights because chains and ropes were actually like iconography from the suffragette movement. So uh, Dr. Marston, Olive Byrne, Elizabeth Holloway, and then Harry G. Peter, who was an artist for Wonder Woman, they had all been influenced by the suffragette movement very heavily they were all feminists and marchers and protesters in that movement and um chains were actually constantly used as the symbol of of enslavement during that time period and emily pinker emmeline Mm -hmm. pinkhurst who was a major feminist at that time she got asked to speak at harvard and actually dr marston was a student i think at the time and he had uh been Mm -hmm. a proponent of coming and speaking and she has this incredible She has this incredible uh, quote where she says, while men stand proudly and face the sun, boasting that they have quenched the wickedness of slavery, what chains of slavery are, have been, or ever could be so intimate a horror as the shackles on every limb, 
on every thought on the very soul of an unwilling Mm. pregnant woman. And uh, she ended up chaining herself in front of 10 Downing Street in London. And then women of that time were were chaining themselves when they would march. So chains represented this bondage that women experienced. And so Wonder Woman being chained, there was obviously sexual elements to it as well, but she always broke out of those chains. And so Dr. Marston and, and Harry G. Peter, the artist, they were actually trying to, to um, like emulate what women in the early 1900s and still really today in a lot of mm-hmm. ways were facing. So, so it's kind of like an interesting caveat where it is just, it feels like very sexual and very bondage, but then you also have this whole secret history of like, they were actually trying to show what women felt and that was being tied up and bound and then breaking free of that. And Wonder Woman offered this feeling of like, Hey, we can break out of those chains. So it's a very interesting, like, twist mm-hmm, of the for sure. in my opinion. I think it, like, portrays the, uh-huh. like, um, oh, what's the right word? The um, complexity of where people were at the time and, and whatnot, how they were developing, like, psychologically mm-hmm. in these different ways as we were going through, like, social justice movements and, uh, and also freedom to, like, just in general be who we are. Um, both for men and for women. So, yeah, mm-hmm. the complexities like of like humanity at the time, right? Definitely, because it was like a very changing time. You did still have these very traditional views, and I'm sure even myself, if I talked to a suffragette from that time period, I would have such sure. different beliefs than them in certain ways because of how much we've changed in, in mm-hmm. you know, such a short time period. Um, and so, I think that those people that we've been talking about, we're dealing with that complexity just as much. Um, now the artist that I talked about, he's super interesting to me and I'd love to learn more about him, but he was actually a staff artist at a magazine called judge, which was a suffragette magazine. And he contributed to a page called the modern woman, which ran from 1912 to 1917. And usually the art on that page was drawn by a woman named Lou Rogers and she was um, a feminist and drew these feminist cartoons. And they usually featured an allegorical woman that was chained or roped, breaking her bonds. Sure. So it was almost like pre-Wonder Woman. Um, and then uh, let's see some more notes here. So then in 1920, there was a book called Woman in the New Race. And Margaret Sanger argued that woman had chained herself to her place in society and the family through the maternal functions of her nature and only chains thus strong could have bound her to mm. her lot as a brood animal. And, um, and then in 1923, there was an illustration commissioned by that woman, Lou Rogers, for the cover of Birth Control Review. It pictured a weakened and desperate woman fallen to her knees and chained at the ankle to a ball that mm. reads, Unwanted Babies. Um, and then a chained woman inspired the title of Sanger's 1928 book, Motherhood in Bondage a compilation of some of the thousands of letters she had received from women begging her for information about birth control. She described the letters as the confessions mm. of enslaved mothers. Yeah. It's so sad. And, and obviously there's like a lot of connotation too of like enslavement. And obviously it's very different than enslavement of other people. And I always want to make sure that I'm being intersectional about sexism and feminism, but it is just so depressing to think that, these women of the time and even still feel this enslavement of like, well, now I have babies and I have to have babies and I'm just this mm-hmm. baby machine for a yeah, man for sure. and for society in general. 
So when he, when Marston created her in 1941, he drew on Sanger's legacy and inspiration, according to the Smithsonian, but he also wanted to keep the influence of Sanger on Wonder Woman a secret. And then he ended up taking that secret to his grave when he died in 1947. And now in this time period, most superheroes in comic books did not survive peacetime. And those that did were changed forever in 1954 when a psychiatrist named Frederick Wortham published a book called Seduction of the Innocent and testified before a Senate committee investigating comics. He believed that comics were corrupting American kids and turning them to juvenile delinquents. He especially disliked Wonder Woman. He wrote that Wonder Woman comics, uh, this makes me sound mad, he wrote that Wonder Woman comics display a strikingly advanced concept of femininity and masculinity and that women in these stories are placed on an equal footing with men and indulge in the same type of activities. He found the feminism in Wonder Woman repulsive as to the advanced femininity. What are the activities in comic books which women indulge in on an equal footing with men? They do not work. They are not homemakers. They do not bring up a family. Mother love is entirely absent. Even when Wonder Woman adopts a girl, there are lesbian overtones, he said. At the Senate hearings, Loretta Bender testified too. Uh, and she said, if anything in American popular culture was bad for girls, she said it wasn't Wonder Woman, it was Walt Disney. Quote, the mothers are always killed or sent to an insane asylum in Walt Disney movies. But unfortunately, her argument fell on deaf ears and comics were changed forever. And by forever, I mean for the next you know few decades. And basically any like bondage or violence or sexual violence or any equal footing with Whoa. men was like, completely stripped from comic books. So, yeah. So did we see so, a gap so, then uh, in where Wonder Woman was? Like, does she disappear from comic book history at that point? That's a good question. I did not look into it. I don't think she disappears completely, but I do think that her comics were much more innocent after that. Um, and just a lot weaker than she was before. Now, she aside from Batman and Superman has been around the longest in all comic books. Um, so I don't think she disappeared, but I do think that she was much more tempered mm -hmm. down from what she originally mm -hmm. was, but I'd have to look into that and see, I will update. Um, now here's where it gets very sweet. Okay. So we're flipping back to the relationship between the thruple. Um, so you have, again, you have Dr. Marston who dies in 1947. And so his two wives are left. And here's some sweet little facts. Mm -hmm. Olive Byrne, the younger of the two, she actually always wore a pair of uh, silver cuffs on her wrists. And those bracelets are the same that Wonder Woman mm. wears in the comics. And to this day are her cuffs that are bulletproof. And uh, so she definitely inspired mm. that kind of look of Wonder Woman. And then she and Holloway lived together until Olive died at the age of 86 in Tampa. Uh, so they ended up living together in Tampa. And then when Olive got sick, she went to the hospital and Elizabeth fell and broke her hip and went to the same hospital, but they were in separate rooms. And uh, they had lived together for 64 years. And when she heard of Olive's death at the hospital, she sang a poem by Tennyson. She said, sunset and the evening star and one clear call for me. And may there by no, and may there be no moaning of the bar when I put out to sea. So she was, genuinely well, imagine. Like, so yeah. sad that olive had died yeah for sure they were companions and yeah. then when elizabeth died her obituary read 
that she was the inspiration for Wonder Woman and she died at 100. But from this book uh, that I was reading about today, it said this was at best a half truth because truly she inspired mm. 50% of Wonder Woman and so did Olive. So it was these two women that Dr. Marston really revered and loved. And adored. That was super cool. And they were the inspiration for Wonder Woman. So, yeah. So sorry for that. <laughs> that was like a 40 minute history on Wonder Woman. But super important. To be very I'm really glad important. that you read it all. Thank you. And those again, the sources are the Smithsonian Magazine and then also uh, a book called The Secret History of Wonder Woman. Love it. Written by a woman. So trustworthy. Um, okay, I'm going to take a drink break for my wine. Now, Sarah, tell us how, how's your, um, it's good. I feel like I have days that are awesome where I feel great about the fact that I don't have to do as much as I normally would. Um, and where I have time to do things that I normally Mm -hmm. wouldn't and that I enjoy. Um, and then days where I feel, Mm -hmm. uh, super down and (laughs) feel very lonely and uh, very cynical Mm -hmm. and so I kind of go back and forth between highs and lows there's like very little middle ground right now so yeah are you feeling cynical about the whole like about coronavirus um both I guess it's a mixture of feeling like uh it's gonna be a long ass time before coronavirus actually goes away and that bums me out um and like fear over like people Mm -hmm. getting sick and dying Um, and that mixed with, uh, being like having the blues over being lonely, like not being able to be like, I'm a very social being and I spend time with like friends and family Mm. several times a week. Um, you know, and so, and I, you know, tend to go out a lot. And so I, um, like with people. And so I, I like not having that is very, it was very, very difficult for me in the beginning. Like the first two days I was like, this is awesome. I get to do whatever I want. And then I was suddenly so bummed about not being able to like go out with people and go get dinner and go get drinks and, you know, have get togethers. And so, um, so yeah, I feel like I fluctuate between these two spaces that are completely opposite of one another. I also find that I'm a lot less productive Mm -hmm. than I am when I'm so busy. Like my schedule um, doesn't allow a lot of extra time for a lot of extra things. And so I'm busy constantly, yet I find mm-hmm. that I'm even more project- productive when I'm very, very busy, um, like fitting things in. Uh, whereas when I'm not, when I have all this free time, right. I find that I'm not as productive. So um, I'm not as like driven to do things or I don't know. So I, yeah, I feel like quarantine is nice in that I'm there. I have a lot more time in my hands, but it's, um, it's also a bummer for obvious reasons. so, right. Yeah. I empathize with that. I feel, and I've talked to you about this, but I tend to, when I getting anxious, which I deal with anxiety a lot. And when I get anxious, I tend to isolate myself which is terrible in this particular time because we're all supposed to be quarantining ourselves and that's all good and fine. But then I get anxious about quarantine. And so then I somehow isolate myself even further by not even wanting to like FaceTime with friends or go on Mm -hmm. like a six foot distant walk from friends. So it's like I'm double isolating myself somehow and truly seeing Tammy and Mark and that's it. (laughs) 
and and I am like an extroverted person by nature and so and unfortunately my anxiety just like forces me to not be extroverted but I want to be so I'm dealing with the same kind of back and forth and yeah I think that I I think that I tend to be more productive Mm -hmm. when I have a million things going on because I like working in a fast-paced kind of feeling Mm -hmm. even though I don't like it when it's happening but then afterwards I'm like I kind of miss that but I will say (laughs) quarantine's been pretty fucking dope for me I just cook and nap a lot yes I hear you like I love watching movies a lot more than I normally do like a lot lot more and I love, mm-hmm. like, I've done one puzzle yeah. so far, but I bought another one. Hopefully, that'll be in soon. And, <laughs> yeah, it's super cool. So um, cool. I watched multiple DIY videos on how to make homemade candles <laughs> yesterday. So, considering buying some uh, candle-making <laughs> materials. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, I've been going on watching tons oh so so many hours of golden girls so many hours (laughs) and I've been working out most days and um and that's felt good too like I work out I work out normally anyway but not to the extent that I've been working out um and not with the focus on working out that I've had for the last uh several weeks so I have enjoyed that as well um Mm -hmm. yeah so there it's definitely like the things that I don't, that I enjoy doing, but I don't, it's like, I can't be totally present with them, even when I do them, like working out. Now I can be totally present with it and it's fucking awesome. So (laughs) there's like definitely downsides. Don't want to minimize the downsides, obviously of the coronavirus and of like quarantining ourselves and people being out of work. Obviously this is such a miserable time for so many people. Um, and right now we're, we're doing okay. And so we're just kind of getting to enjoy the fact that we are working less right now. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I guess that's where we are and probably where, where you are too. Although you actually are out of work. And so I'm really sorry about that. (laughs) It's okay. I, I am out of three jobs. Um, if you'd like to send me money, um, Go ahead and hit up my Venmo. It is um, B. Dozen. If you'd like to go on Cash App, you can also go on Cash App. It is dollar sign BVD23. I am very out of work. However, I have been very lucky and I've had enough money to get me through this month. And I have a lot of safety nets. And I know a lot of other people don't have a lot of safety nets. So right now, I love quarantine. In like three weeks, I'm sure I'll hate it. But I mean, it's incredible that we're getting a one-time check. You know, just like a one-time twelve hundred dollar check right. like floating for the rest of the year. I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful to <laughs> just our Republican senators working for us and our moderate Democrats. That like, one-time like check's gonna over, be dope. Over anything else, like it's it's so wonderful. Oh, baby, baby, baby! I'm gonna get so many canned goods. I am gonna, I'm gonna get maybe a, a roll of toilet paper. Uh, yeah, that's gonna cover mortgage one once. So I am awesome. I love it. I love, I love the thing I love about Washington DC lawmakers is that they really know, they really know what it's like to be an average American citizen. They really understand it. And that's why I'm voting wholeheartedly for Joe Biden. Okay. Because he understands. Okay. He takes the train. He gets it. He understands. Why would I want Medicare for all and student loans paid for 
and you know democratic socialism exactly when i could continue worshiping capitalism because <laughs> boy has it worked in my favor so far <laughs> okay flipping yes. the script yes Wonder okay one by patty jenkins go okay so well, I'm pouring the last of Please, my bottle of wine. I only had a half a bottle to begin with because I'd already drank half of it for dinner a while back. So Sarah wants all of you to know that she's not a raging alcoholic and can just finish a bottle. But oh, I totally would. I'm actually kind of bummed that I just poured the last of that bottle in my glass. I'm going to need to text my partner to bring me up some more because I'm in an upstairs room. So Sarah, you don't have to say Oh, that's right. I can use his name. Okay. So um, I love this movie. There's, yeah. I'll have a lot of, of course, critiques to go through, but like I, there's, um, there's not a lot sure, that sure, I don't sure. love about this movie. There certainly are some things that are critiques, of course, but all in yeah. all, I I was a huge fan of this. It was very empowering when I saw it for the first time and and the second time and the third time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's actually, let's start with that really quickly before we go into like notes on this, because I don't know about you, but I've only seen mm. it once at the movie theater and then once this week when I watched it. And... So let's talk about our first reaction when we first saw it because mm. I very vividly remember. Okay, first so, so um, you, you I think that I, I mean, I think that I saw it with you in theaters, and I was uh, like at the end wanted to mm-hmm. very much cheer out loud, which I think we did, and I think we were the only people in that theater <laughs> who did. But um, I mm-hmm. felt like for mm-hmm. me. It was a different role than I've ever seen um, a woman be in, in a lot of different ways, and in many ways, very subtle ways that were, um, made me feel, I think, a little bit Mm -hmm. more visible than I had been previously. I think that women largely have always played second fiddle to men, or they have, um, they've not been so all all encompassing of their power and their strength and their with along with their vulnerability and mm-hmm. um and so I think that that uh, for me was a big deal to see that in full focus um and we'll kind of go through the things that we loved about it so I won't like jump the gun on that but I think that for me it was just it felt I felt very strong and very um seen at by the end of the movie yeah yeah, I agree with that. I remember, and I'll talk about this definitely when we go into notes on our rewatch, mm-hmm. but I cried during this movie. Um, the first battle scene on the beach, like with her yeah. fighting the Germans, I truly cried and I did not expect that. And I cried on the rewatch yeah. too, because it really is. Like, obviously you've seen in action movies, you've seen like Sarah Connor in Terminator and you've seen like You've seen, uh, like, Black Widow in Marvel movies. But there is something very different about mm-hmm. it being, about it not being, like, the token woman. Like, it is an entire army of women, the Amazons are. And they're all very, like, in love with each other. And very, there's, like, this strong sisterhood between them. And watching them in this incredibly moving and beautifully conducted and orchestrated uh fight scene with these germans it was just like so moving to me to see all women be so powerful and like there was no question about it there was no question about about the like there was no amazement to it is what i should say like in a movie typically when a woman does something amazing it's like 
oh my god look what she did but there's really none of that it's like Mm -hmm. these women are strong these germans are strong they fight each other and there's no question about it and obviously the women are fucking amazing they're like flying through the air with bow bow and arrows but i think that to me like it did not feel like she was a token woman it felt like she made sense and belonged and even if people looked at her strangely she knew she belonged like she had a power that i've never really seen a woman have in a movie in a way that doesn't feel like like i don't know unearned or like i don't know what i'm trying to say but it but it does feel like if you take like sarah connor for instance in terminator or you're like sigourney mm-hmm. bieber and alien they're like the one woman they're like the one woman and they're still incredibly strong people but the fact that wonder woman had like all these amazons behind her mm-hmm. that to me was like the most powerful point of the movie was that she had this entire sisterhood and to me that is like what stuck out the most is just this feeling of like women mm-hmm. can be all in it together and so strong together and just the support that she had in that i think was really moving to me the first time Anyways, that was my my first reaction Mm -hmm. and my second reaction did not really change from movie to movie or from viewing to viewing. So, okay, Okay, well, I took notes throughout the movie. So these are all kind of in in an in an order of sorts. Um, So I started out by like we learn about the mythology behind the story of the Amazons. And when it's told in the movie, although um, although Wonder Woman's uh, Diana's mom, uh, the queen of the amazons even though she um she does uh lend some some of what she says to zeus not being super awesome um she mostly tells it in a way that is very mythological and Mm -hmm. very very much um we thank the gods you know we thank zeus for creating us but at the same time um you know when you listen to this story she says things like uh zeus created the humans to rule over them so this like term rule over um so he he created them not for love he created so that he could rule over them um she says that in it and um and that mm-hmm. Ares became jealous of of mankind so it wasn't a matter of um him actually seeing the evils of mankind but him experiencing jealousy so this like these these kind of like raw uh, uh, really negative and really kind of these emotions like jealousy and to rule over to be in control and be in power that I associate with a lot of like the more disgusting mm-hmm. feelings like like when I'm jealous that is a terrible feeling because I feel bad about being jealous and I also the jealousy mm-hmm. itself makes me feel bad so it's like these these um, really raw emotions and then um, and then when she talks about the amazons and their creation as she says that they were created to provide love and restore peace um so there's this immediate response for me of objectification they were created solely to provide love for humans um so they were created as objects and were put into enslavement and she actually i mean she uses that word enslavement when she's when she's describing this but then even though she talks about them being enslaved, she goes back and says, you know, we give thanks to the God for giving us this paradise. So it's like Zeus was really just a tool. He was a total douchebag, which, of course, we know that in mythology. Some people, you know, don't accept that yeah. and they think mythology is so beautiful and, you know, whatever. And it is. It's I mean, there are these stories that are very interesting. I'll give you that. 
but they are nonetheless horrifically sexist. <laughs> and, um, and I think that we see that in this movie, even mm-hmm, that's what struck me mm-hmm. at first was the sexism that existed within Zeus and the enslavement of these women um, solely for the purpose of making humans feel better about themselves and about their lives and bringing peace. And so, um, so I think that's yeah. what struck me as, at yeah. first was this like anger in that, like, there's this, like, I think it's this common thing among, uh, among many people and many women is that, um, you know, when, uh, when a man holds open a door for us, well, he's a gentleman, but in reality, that guy may be a tool and, you know, it's this mm-hmm. idea of like, well, if they just put on this front for mm-hmm. us, then we should, we should love them. We should care for them. We should, um, provide them with grace because they've overcome, they've overcome this, uh, this hatred that they could possibly have for women, but that's not the reality. Like, and so to say, um, Zeus created us as slaves, but he gave us this paradise now. So it's totally fine. We should give him thanks. (laughs) It's like, Oh, well, you know, he was a douchebag and a terrible, terrible, um, of course, fictional character. But, um, but yeah, I think that's what hit me at first was, was the mythology of it all. Yeah, I agree. I thought the same thing. And while I was watching it, Tammy, who was very drunk at the time, she she made me stop it because she was upset about that too. And I'm I'm of two minds of it in that I understand that mythology is fictional, this movie is fictional, and so we can really reclaim anything we want and we can change it how we want. Um, but I did I thought that same thing of like Zeus is a dick, and I feel like that's just an accepted mm-hmm. truth, is like he was incredibly yep. sexist and a rapist and just bad, bad, bad. Then I get, like, it's obviously the mythology within the Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman world, too. So, like, you have to keep to that in a way. And I think that it is, it's an important part of the story, too. Like, I do think, I think, I think that you see, like, okay, these women were created for humans. And they were created because, you know, quote, unquote, like, their love. And, like, they would lead people to more love. And obviously, Diana, who is Wonder Woman, Diana does want to show people that love can save the world. And I think that's (laughs) beautiful. Um, a little simplistic, but I do think it's beautiful. But, um, but I do, I do think that you see how the Amazons were, I mean, you definitely see how the Amazons were like created for that purpose. And then they realized how like terrible men were. And so that is why they like revolted. And, and it is interesting that they Mm -hmm. revolted against the men, but not against Zeus necessarily. Like they revolted Mm -hmm. against Ares and the men, but not Zeus, but they obviously did see like, Hey, we're created for, we are Mm -hmm. way more than just love. And we're way more than just like beautiful women. We are warriors and we can have this Island to ourselves and create this community and family of our own. And when men come here, we'll wage war against them. So I do think that that's like an important part to notice too, while also obviously noticing the sexism of Zeus is also talking about and and seeing that these women Mm -hmm. realized they were capable of more than Zeus said they were capable of because that's how it felt to me is he's like this is your role and then the women after trying to take on that role Mm -hmm. realized that they actually were so much more than that and then Diana even sees that she's so much more than the Amazons have said Mm -hmm. so she's really realizing the full capability of herself um so I think when I when I look back and I think about it through that lens, I do feel like mm-hmm. the women revolted in a way that gave them the power back and took it away from what Zeus had made for them. But I do think it's interesting that Zeus is like created yeah. as this like hero father figure. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think that terrible. it is. 
terrible. Thought. You know, it's very representative um, of of what happens when we have, um, I think, powerful figures in the world that we look up to. We look up to them maybe not because they're so good, but because they have power, and that doesn't make them so good. Like, and so, um, and so, I think that um, right uh, mm-hmm. that we can think about you know uh people and women who listen to like Rush Limbaugh speak and it's like how does that make sense um but I think it's it can be Mm -hmm. similar in that when we're stripped of the power that we deserve or that we should have then we can often um uh, look to people in power and it, it makes us somehow feel better about ourselves to be able to put ourselves on the same side as people with power oh Sarah freaking dad's in front of the house okay (laughs) hold on one second stay on the line all right I love I love (laughs) I took an entire 60 minutes basically to figure out the history of Wonder Woman it's true and this is important like movies going forward will not have this much history entwined in them it's just that Wonder Woman has a lot yeah it is Okay, so let's go. We're gonna go a few more minutes, and yeah, let's talk. Let's will, talk until she gets we'll, off we'll of call it good. like so we'll maybe until she gets um, of off um, of the island. That seems like a good place to stop. Okay, yes, that's a good place to stop tonight. Okay, so um, <laughs> I have the way that I take notes is much like who I am as a person. <laughs> Mark and I call myself a good time gal or a fun time gal, and <laughs> that's ba- that basically means. I don't take care in what I do. <laughs> and I, uh, I get a little silly with things and by silly. That's um, okay. You're the yin to my yang. <laughs> so <laughs> we keep each other balanced. So, exactly. Okay. So <laughs> that's exactly it. Um, truly. <laughs> so the way that I took notes is so funny. To me. <laughs> what? <laughs> First note. What does she study? <laughs> She walks into the museum and there's all these artifacts. And I thought, what That's did she true. study? Where'd she go to school? When did she have time for college? I thought this too. Surely she has to but have I think that she just, she to I think that, that she just continued Why her life after, <laughs> after that. And she like went through an actual, gave herself an actual life. What, what bums me out is that she never went to the back to the mascara as far as we know from that movie. Yeah. Well, in the comic books, I guess there was like something written in where she like couldn't return. Like that was it was part of yeah. The like the her know. mom said that when she left, the queen articles. was like, you know, you'll never be able to come back. But I was like, but why? <laughs> like these other guys got there, so <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, yeah so they don't Germans explain that. Like That's kind of a bummer. Very able to get themselves um, into that area. Yeah. Um. Oh, quick, quick side note. Uh, the reason why it takes place during World War One is very interesting. The comic books take place in World War Two, but um, or they be- they begin in World War Two. But Patty Jenkins and the creators of the movie they wanted to make it in World War One because mm. they said good and bad was so much harder right. to figure out. They liked that, like because it wasn't like Nazism. Mm-hmm. It was like you were kind of deciding what line you fall on in that war. Like, right. do I believe in this or do I believe in that? And it was kind of like a mixed mm-hmm. bag and they wanted That's it good. to reflect our own, 
present time right. more than World War II because World War II right. was just like this is bad and this is good. Yeah, like World, World War II felt more, like a moral like, war, so even really if <laughs> even if the United States wasn't entirely no. moral, like it felt like a moral war. Whereas right. like World War One is like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I mean, yeah, Franz Ferdinand was there, not the band, but the guy, that one dude. And then you have, like, Germans doing something. Um, France is getting hit. And then. And then Why do we not know where it was World War One? <laughs> it's very much a blur. I truly know nothing about World War One. I. Right? I know that movies that take place in that time period have a really nice aesthetic. It's like the world realized, like, we were that fucking idiots when we got involved in this baby. war. We can't tell kids what actually <laughs> happened. Erase that from the books. It's not a time Okay, so politics. Uh, a quote um, that I thought was really on point. Robin okay. Wright, when she's training Diana, she says, um, the fight will never be fair. And... I felt like, again, like me coming from like my feminist framework, I'm mm. like constantly like finding ways that this matches mm. to who we are today and feminism mm-hmm. today and like, and feminism always, but the unfair treatment of women. Um, and I think the fight will never be fair is like very much metaphorical for, right. uh, for any kind of fight for, for social justice, any kind of social justice, not just feminism. And I want to say, especially not like white feminism, like, like all aspects of feminism and all aspects of racism and, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. and of justice for, for people who are, who are marginalized. And so the fight will never be fair, I think was important because she's basically saying to Diana, you like have to be focused on this. This has to be important to you. Like you have to get to a point where you, you are solely devoted to this. Man, that's. That is a really good Mm -hmm. point. I didn't even honestly think about that quote outside of the context of them fighting. And it's so true, though. And then it is true, like, throughout the film, too. Like, not the physical thing that she was fighting in that moment. Mm -hmm. Like, that is all just, like, an allegory for the the fight that women go through Mm -hmm. for their entire lives. And especially women of color and especially trans women. Like the fight and the odds are so stacked against them. And yeah, it kind of goes along with the idea too, that like, as soon as a woman missteps or as soon as like a trans woman missteps, a woman of any, of any sort Mm -hmm. missteps, then it's like, that is a blanket statement for all women. Whereas white men, white cis men, straight white cis Mm -hmm. men have never had to endure one misstep speaks for everybody. And, and I do think that that is something that women have to deal with consistently. Mm -hmm. And I did not think about that quote being that until just now. That's so interesting. What a good point. I was so excited about how many women are on screen (laughs) at one time that I wrote in all caps, all those women, (laughs) while you were writing about the struggle in the fight for equality. (laughs) I don't even know if that's a deep technical thing though I just was curious like that little girl had a really shitty Gal Gadot accent and I thought gosh did they all were they all like listen Gal's the one okay and she's Israeli we need to match an Israeli accent (laughs) white women from America Robin Wright could you do an Israeli accent (laughs) but all of them have to do this weird and it's not terrible like it doesn't take a lot of but some of them are like 
the the fights will never the fights will never fail. That's very <laughs> true. It's like what is it? I'm so glad. Is it, is I'm glad really, that mostly they tried to make all of their accents African? because there are so many stories where like they don't match at all, and you're like, "What the mm-hmm. fuck? This really does take me out of the story because really? this doesn't make sense." <laughs> well, like I think that exactly. I think that like along those same lines <laughs> with all of the women is like um, oh I really I like I don't know like that whole the whole beginning of the story with within the mascara is so awesome to me for so many reasons, not just as like a woman but as a queer woman like just such a cool mm-hmm. cool story arc yeah that is a genuine question of mine too like as a queer woman obviously you don't get a lot of like queerness like later on in the film but within the mascara and within like when she says like men are okay so i think you know maybe i'm i realize i live in like an academic bubble where like i get um i get to have queer conversations all the time and like i very much um am in a i mean most of my friends are queer not not everyone Mm -hmm. of course but i think that i'm very much privileged and that i get to be surrounded by people who are like minded Mm -hmm. and a lot share a lot of identities with me so maybe I lean pretty hard in this way and I can find, you know, problems wherever I look. But I think that for me, the, the fact that same-sex relationships are not explicitly shown is kind of a bummer to me. Um, you really only get Robin. Yes, and her like a sliver of like sliver, maybe these women like were more than just friends. Um, and so, uh, and that's not explicitly shown. And I think that because of that, I mm-hmm. felt like, like visibility was limited in the movie when it when there really could have been an opportunity there to show it to be more Mm. visible with queerness and I think also to show um show this distinction Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. the the variety of like what what queer can mean the all-inclusiveness of that between like um lesbian women or bi women or queer women um I think that that was missed and that's kind of a bummer to me I like it that it's kind of you can take something from that of course like I very much like that but it's also like I feel like I'm we're constantly like fighting for more visibility and I feel like it could have been shown here yeah it's almost like because like from a straight person's perspective I was like that's awesome yes small and I remember like a couple years ago when we saw you and I were both excited that there was that small part but obviously when you grow and you move forward and you realize like how much more there could have been than it is disconcerting. Um, mm-hmm. I, as a straight woman, I'm like, that's awesome. There's this small amount of visibility. And when she talks to Steve yes. later in the boat, she says like men are important for procreation, but not for pleasure. And so you're like, Oh, there's this for little sure. bit of visibility. And so of course it's nice to celebrate any moment of visibility, but then obviously talking to you and like thinking mm. about it from a queer perspective it does almost feel like you're given pebbles when you, you know, like you're just, yeah, like, right, Here's, right. you know, I could give you a full dollar. Yes. Right. Cents. And I'm not like, and it's not even like, excited sorry, it's not like cents. a matter of so, like, like, that's how um, it feels. like so much so visibility where we're watching explicit scenes, right? Like, it's just a matter of like, we didn't even see that, like that formal mm-hmm, kind of gesture mm-hmm. of relationship of intimacy, you know, yeah, you didn't know they were partners until Robin Wright, spoiler alert, right. <laughs> until Robin Wright dies and she's dying on the beach and then her partner runs over to her. And you still, if you were a straight person scared right. of queerness, you could pass it away as like, oh, it's her friend. 
And so it's definitely like something that, in my opinion, I would assume probably Patty Jenkins, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. I feel like this is how a lot of female directors would be probably pushed for it. And I bet she got pushed back. That's like what my opinion is because it is, you know, a big studio. Now, I do think DC pushes, I don't think Mm. DC is good at what they do usually, but I do think they push the boundaries a little bit more than Marvel does in terms of family friendly. But I wish that they would finally just like push it. Like actually, like it's it's just so bizarre Mm -hmm. that even in today's world, we have to just suggest somebody's gay. You can't just be like, right. oh yeah, this person loves this other person. Why is that weird? Or this For person sure. has sex with this person. Why is that weird? Like it's, we're so repressive in so many ways still. And yeah, and I do empathize with you in that it must suck to like be queer and to feel like you're right. constantly like told, no, it's, it's fine that you're queer. We're just like not going to talk about right. it. Right. Even the acts of like hand holding would be too much for people to see. Good and job. So, so I think that. Much. Right. Exactly. And like the way that Gal Gadot kind of mentions, you know, mm-hmm. men are not important for anything but procreation. That is like a, it's a, a really cool line. Like I genuinely do enjoy it because it's like women can have pleasure with women. And there's like this great moment in a room of one's own where Virginia Woolf kind of like says that same thing. Right. She's like, I know. It's so crazy, but sometimes women can love other women. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. it kind of harkens back to that, like that tongue in cheek, like, hey, it's, it's, it is normal to be queer. Um, but it, but that part almost to me meant more than even seeing her partner yeah, over George sure. subtly. Because Gal Gadot's like well, and for me, more like in your face than than thanks for me like that for for her um when they're on the boat um that meant more to me about breaking down toxic masculinity and so that was influential in a way I think that that's that's one of my favorite lines in the movie because it is about breaking down this ego that men have and that they bring the pleasure to the relationship um yeah which let me tell you since we're now breaking this into two parts (laughs) Basically, That's so funny because I almost never even talk about, be about my love for Chris going Klein, forward. Just FYI, <laughs> I totally agree. It's just because I, totally I think agree. that he's such a good example of how you can write a male character in a film. Yes, and also I just love. I think that he is just <laughs> such a delightful human being. Like I'll never forget him weeping. I totally agree. I love his character. I think he does it super well. Song. I mean, the character is written so well, and he so, does it so well. I think that his character is like just such a way of how yes. to write a male character in a way that yes. supports. And I'll and say this, I'll put this out there the before we kind of like. Um, but we'll talk about that on the next part. We'll talk the about beach that. scene is like, I think like as a queer woman, for me, I think that when watching this movie and both as a, as a feminist too, I've come to understand that like there's this, and this is through just like doing research and like talking to people like that, that, uh, sometimes, and, and everyone knows this, but like we try to make it easier for someone to digest. Like if it's whatever that is, um, you know, Wonder Woman is super likable to yeah. so many people, whereas like Captain Marvel is not so likable to so many people. She's harder to digest right. as a female character, but she's so much more right. representative on a lot of levels to who we are edges. as women. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I only say that I love, of course, Wonder Woman. I say that because it's like we had to, this this movie feels, and we can come back to this at the end of of the podcast, but is it comes back to, I think this idea of like, this was a breakthrough movie 
And part of that was mm-hmm. maybe that we had to like soften it a little bit for people who wouldn't like it normally to make it easy, more easily to digest for them, feminism and queerness yeah. and whatnot. And so queerness is not super visible. Same sex yeah. relationships, not super visible in this movie. And that's a bummer to me. And I think, I think that um, I love her. I love, I love that there is some representation there. I think that part of it, it comes back to like, we have to make this easier for people to digest who wouldn't agree with us and that fucking sucks but like I also get it <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah it's hard I mean you are truly breaking down centuries of homophobia and unfortunately that doesn't happen overnight and unfortunately you don't get to be raised in like a liberal family always and you don't get to like be exposed to queerness from a young age and like it's unfortunate, but it is the truth of it. And you're a very patient person in that regard, which is hilarious. I've never described you as patient. But you, you're you a very patient person with that and graceful towards it when it comes to the arts. And I think that's important mm-hmm. because I think you're right. I think you do need something like Wonder Woman to set the stage for Captain Marvel. Because it is interesting. Like Marvel's very family friendly, much more so because they're owned by Disney. But Captain Marvel definitely, and I do want to talk more about Captain Marvel on our next nope. part because nope, that's exactly. Compare exactly. the two of them, kind of, which is hilarious because we yes, never compare two male protagonists. But I do want to compare them just in terms of them being the definitely. first. Like I think it, I think it's important to kind of talk about the way that we've handled two female characters no. um, being the first superheroes. Sure. But yeah, but I will not compare them in terms of their importance because they are both equally important. Um, but yeah, Captain Marvel definitely like she took Wonder Woman, she took all those soft edges and like the message of love Mm -hmm. and she really took it in a much more militaristic way and a way of like being fed up, like fed up with, with it all. And yes, interestingly enough too, Captain Marvel deals with a lot more sexism than Wonder Woman deals with really. But we'll, we'll definitely talk about it all tomorrow. (laughs) Oh, we can only hope. (laughs) She's gotta be, I hope. There's no way I know I know Brie Larson Brie Larson wants Me her to too. be queer like that's her that's what she wants for the character so I really hope that they do that um but yeah I wanted to get your opinion on that because I think it's really important like I am truly just basically straight I will for all of our <laughs> listeners I always call myself basically straight because I'm not rolling anybody yet okay but <laughs> I'm saying some older woman that has a garden couldn't come up to me in a muscle tank and you know and say (laughs) would you like to come live with me I'll teach you how to garden and love a woman properly okay I'm not saying that that wouldn't entice me all right (laughs) or if Kate Blanchett came up in her Thor Ragnarok slash everyone would be into that for sure yeah there's no way not to be into that oh my god oh my god (laughs) <laughs> listen mark is perfect but if kate blanchett came up to me <laughs> who am i kidding um, no thank you for asking me that though because i think early. that is important to talk about um, with this movie and i think you're okay, right so- like back when we watched this that was really important to me that that was something that was considered in this movie was some aspect of showing um, same-sex relationship and int- intimacy in that in that yeah. scope and I think that um, for me you know while I say yes I, I think mm-hmm. that we had to you know we have to start with these more easily digestible systems even if people aren't ready to move forward we have to continue to push it forward and visibility is super important like I you know me like 
<laughs> tattoo between tattoos right. and flags right. and like everything that I wear I try and make myself as visible as possible as a queer woman because I think mm-hmm. visibility is mm-hmm. so important yeah, yeah. exactly well, for 30 years, you for 30 years, you weren't seen for who you were completely. Yeah. So why wouldn't you like I've been able to be seen my whole life for who I am. Yeah, so right. Why? So I think that people we that yes, I want I, I hope that as we continue to move time, through this you know? new wave of feminism, yeah. that's what I would call it anyways, this new wave of feminism, like that we would, we would continue to push that bill forward that we're not always trying to accommodate people who aren't ready to see it, but that we're moving it forward constantly. And I think this was a great place to start. Yeah, I agree. Exactly. I agree. And it is For interesting sure. if you think about like our reaction when we first saw it two years ago and our reaction now really is different because we're growing because we're growing and like demanding more and you should demand more. And, you know, we were recently, you and I talking about Cheers, the television show from the eighties and um, Cheers is such a good show. And there was visibility in one particular episode about gay men at the time. Mm-hmm. And at that time, that must have felt like such a relief, in my opinion, yeah. for queer people. Mm-hmm. But obviously, if you watch it now, there's a lot of problematic exactly. things even within that episode. And that's because, you know, 35 right. years have passed. And we're at a different point now. It's just an evolution of queerness, like an evolution of like, Yes. Right, you gave us this, but now we want this. And that is fully within queer people and women's rights to request more, to demand more. So, yeah, so it's an ever-changing thing. And I think Wonder Woman, that is one of the reasons, too, For why sure. I wanted it to be yes. the first one is because it does feel accessible and also, like, challenging at the same time. So, yeah, thank you. For <laughs> um, okay, so continue, continue. We're at the beginning. <laughs> Truly only in the Okay, so um, I also made a comment and I said about diversity, which we're both white. And so we truly cannot talk about like how we feel in terms of being represented within the characters um, of the Amazons. However, I did say the female cast is diverse, but the main characters are white. And I basically just asked, is this a problem? And so I don't know if we can really answer that. But if I do have any listeners that are color and want to talk about that, you should definitely like message me because I'm very interested because to me it felt, it felt like there were these incredible women that were of color and actually one of them specifically, and I can't remember her character's name because it's not really mentioned in the movie except for in the credits. I think she's actually like a huge character in the comic books, but she is not really spoken to in the movie very much. She's like one of the generals. And so I think it's interesting that she plays a very strong character within the the cinematic world or the right. comic book world but like we don't really get to know her and so to me it did feel like it was all white women playing very large roles and no women of color but that's also like it's tough mm-hmm. because race in america is really tough and gal gadot is is israeli definitely she's an israeli and Jew. definitely a marginalized so um, is, a, a marginalized like, population a different ethnic background than just a white place so i really don't want to include her within that at all like i think gal gadot is beyond that but sure. so so i don't even know I don't even know if it's well, like and I think good, that it's difficult because there is, of course, in the United States, we we know this well, good and well diverse. that like there's and... of course a difference between ethnicity and marginalized ethnicity, um, and uh, that separate from pigmentation and the color of our skin and and who who we're considered by just looking at us, right? The whole idea of like mm-hmm. passing or something and. And we've right. talked about this a lot, but race in America is so fucking black and white. And it's just like, 
okay, you're light-skinned, then you're basically white. Like, I know Mm -hmm. Zoe Kravitz, like, has gotten called out on how light her skin is. And she's like, I'm a black woman. So I understand there is definitely, like, race in America is just so fucked, and it's so black and white, and it's so binary. And so it is just an interesting question that I wanted to raise that I don't know if really either one of us can speak to. But again, if there are any diverse listeners that would like to talk about it, I think it would be really interesting because I would really like to hear other people's opinion on it, especially like if you are like Jewish and listening to it or like if you have definitely and trying to like Israel, bring like, all representations of this like, podcast, even even though topic, we obviously cannot represent to everyone, like so, trying to make that something where people have the um, the platform for it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I seriously do not want to make a comment on anything that I don't understand. So I just wanted to bring it up and talk about it for just a second. And but it is very cool. I would imagine being a Jewish woman and being like a woman uh, from Israel or from some marginalized <laughs> community like that. I feel like it would be really cool to see Gal so one um, awesome. one is that, like, just to kind of go back to the training, I feel like uh, Robin Wright's character wanting Diana to train with all of the other women is so empowering when you see her training with all the women because all these women are literally there to train her. Like, they're all there to help each other. And mm-hmm. I feel like through this scene where we're watching them all train together, yeah. we see both strength and love in that. And I think it's this different kind of way of looking at um, humanity. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Of like, mm-hmm. we don't have to be ruled by our egos. We can show love and we can also have strength and we can also, yeah. um, you know, we can also be, yeah. uh, you know, we can also be hard on each other while showing love. And I think that the scene is, is really wonderful for that reason. I think that's a really good point. And like I had said, you know, the thing that made me really emotional during the beach scene and during the entire yeah. really Amazon world yeah. building that we see in the beginning is the sisterhood of it all and like the feeling of support. And I think that you can be tough on your sisters. And I have a very dear friend, Callie, who will listen to this. Callie, and she's the one that told me that I needed to make this. Callie is wonderful and kind and loving but Callie also like calls me out on mistakes that I'm making and she does it in like such a way where she's like you're being an idiot but also I love you and it feels like I it's difficult to come by friends like that because of societal pressures that women have you need women who are willing to call Mm -hmm. you on bullshit and also force you to do more like push you to be more and do more and also love you like endlessly um, and yeah. that is how the Amazon Well, and I think that this is like the, the thing that we they don't see so um, oftentimes really hard between men is way. like for um, women, we can show each other intimacy, even when we're not romantically involved. And men have a tougher time doing that for their own, yeah. for their own reasons, for their own uh, demands, right. gender demands by society and whatnot and, and other things probably too. But but for women, I liked this because we could see yeah. that intimacy at the same time as that, like, hardness, that strength, that, um, you know, that teaching mm-hmm. mode where, like, we see both things that we take, the good things that we can take from, yeah, like, a, a more male perspective or masculine perspective. As much as that sucks, it's a, it's a societal masculine perspective. We can take that and we see that in this society. But then we also see this mm-hmm. very intimate, loving characteristic that is yes tender aspect that is um femalehood you know womanhood yeah like tender 
I agree. I agree. Right. I I really I could like spend the entire movie watching just how these women interact with each other on this island because of that. Um, there's actually a quote that I did write down that says when Diana is like begging to be taught to be trained when she's young. Um, mm-hmm. she says her mom doesn't want her to use a sword and she goes just a shield then no sharp edges and I love that mm-hmm. line because it, obviously Diana does use a sword later on in the movie but truly she does use her shield more often and her lasso and I think what I love is that like as a character and it's kind of like it's almost showing women too of like a woman and obviously it's like a generalization but like how we or Diana, at least, is like, okay, fine, then. Like, I'll just defend people, then. Like, I don't even have to kill. I don't mm-hmm. even have to, like, yeah. maim or slaughter. And she does eventually see how men are doing this to each other in the world. And mm-hmm. I think it's really a beautiful sentence of just, like, okay, right. well, then no sharp edges. Like, I'll just protect. I'll just fight this world by protecting this world. And I think <laughs> that that's, like, really beautiful. And I her character definitely, like... Yeah, it kills a lot of people. Like that's right. definitely not just like cutting people. But there is a sense to her of like fighting is her last option. Like she really yeah. genuinely wants yeah. that to be the last thing that happens, and she instead wants to be diplomatic and be loving and rescue yeah. people. And there are scenes later in the movie that we'll talk about that really show that. But I do love that sense to Diana because I do feel like it's like my sense in a lot of ways, and I mm-hmm. I. I just love that she's like, no, we can be strong. I can be strong and not even have to kill anybody. Like, trust me. And I just really love that about her. And I love that that's kind of how they've, they've generalized her character and maybe women in general. I don't think it's like necessarily a bad generalization. I still think it's a generalization. I don't think that every woman is like, okay, no sword then. Because there's obviously women that are like, no, I'll take the sword Mm -hmm. and I'll fight. But I do like that. That's like Diana's, um, propensity is for peace and diplomacy when like the men around her want to kill and hurt and, <laughs> and she's obviously entering, like, one of the worst wars in history that I know yes I about. totally um, agree so. I, that's not something I caught and I think that is so anyways, very I very think, interesting, yeah. really interesting like for me I it's so funny how we see things and we we know that they're important but we see them like just slightly differently because mm-hmm. like for me that was like um that was like a um as women we need to compromise like we can't have it all we have to we have to give up some things in order to get what we want I think that that's just like the different perspective and I think both are good perspectives that's That's how I saw that erase it right and you can take it both ways Mm -hmm. like you can feel it in both ways like I can feel like Mm -hmm. okay that means like we can fight differently and better but also it can mean that we're giving up things and we always have to like meet people halfway rather than just being who we are so that's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, let's yeah. go ahead and get to the beach scene. Yes. Because, so the beach scene, obviously, uh, it's my favorite scene in the whole movie. Quite a few minutes here. So. <laughs> it's amazing. All right. Oh, my God. I, I've cried twice now watching it. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful scene. It's beautifully choreographed. They shot that over six days. It took them six days to shoot it. And they had to shoot it on a beach big enough to have everybody but they had to superimpose the cliffs behind them so that they could get the look they were going for. Mm. And the director of cinematography, oh, the director of photography was like, right. the hardest part was that the weather kept changing and they had to keep on going because day to day the weather was different. 
and yeah, they shot on the Amalfi Super Coast in Italy, so it's like wow, stunning. because it's but, such an important yeah, scene. You've got to get it on them. So, anyways, yeah, yeah that's. Um, that I think that scene. for me, that scene was um, what was empowering mm-hmm. for many, of course, different reasons. But I think part of it was that you see it. It very much is representative in this way. I think um, in our eyes of of good versus evil, of like these women being this good force who just want to save each other and, and protect and bring peace Mm -hmm. versus these men who are fighting this needless war, um, who have guns, you know, something more, more powerful seemingly. And, um, and so I think there's, there's that kind of overarching aspect to it, but, um, you know, for, for me, and I think for you probably too, it is like this idea of like strength and womanhood and women working together and us being given this um, platform to show our strength in being representative. They take like control. Yeah, they so demand strong. what they want in this situation. And just unafraid. Um, like they're so unafraid of it. Well, and you have like Steve for just one second asks Diana, do you mm-hmm. have guns? And it's just, like, brushed aside. And they fucking, like, destroy these Germans with bows and arrows. And I think that that's something cool is, like, there's no point at which Steve's character even... Yeah, even I talk about that later in notes. To, to <laughs> mansplaining. Like, mansplaining in mm-hmm. a coercive way. Like, right. he's just, like... Because I definitely think that he, like, tries at times to be, like, no, 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 listen, listen, listen. Right. And then yeah. it's just, like, Diana is just, like, wonderfully aloof. She's, like, well, mm-hmm. you're an idiot. Like, we know what's going on. We're not, I'm not worried. And she's also so sweet and kind right. and, like, believes the best in him. But, um, yeah, I just love that these women are, like, you're an idiot. We have bows and arrows. We're fine. And yeah, just, they're working together. Oh they're gosh, a cohesive unit. The choreography, they're so strong. They're it's like not so egotistical. And flying through the air and like, yeah, exactly. Like, it's not about one of them doing better than the other. And also, like, Robin Wright gives her life yes. for Diana. And exactly, I don't know, just like everything about it, everything about it feels like self-sacrificial. Mm-hmm. Like they are fighting wow. for each other in this war and it's amazing and it's just not even a question for them and it's amazing it's so empowering it's crazy that this is so empowering to us when we think about all the movies in 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 history that have been so empowering to men and they go see them and they don't get this feeling because they've always had it whereas we go they've always been empowered that they don't even get this feeling when they go. Cause it's just, it's just expected. Yep. Whereas yeah, for us, we go empowered. and we see this one scene and we are crazy empowered by all these strong women. And I think that shows the vast divide in our sexes and in, in our world and our yep. gender, gender typing and, yeah. um, and inequality and in that we go and we watch one movie about women who are kicking ass and we're so empowered by that. Um, I think that says something about where we are. It is funny to think about how many men in my own life have said, well, there's no, I don't really care about like little women or I don't really care about, you know, Captain Marvel or right. Wonder Woman because like, it, it's just not very right. of me. So like, I don't, I don't get much out of it. I know that it's technically good. I just don't get a lot out of it. And it's like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding me? I've had to watch Goodfellas, James Bond, Terminator, well, I guess Terminator, Sarah Connor, whatever. But I've had to watch, like, uh, let's see, yeah, let's let's see, all James Bond, basically every movie, Superman, (laughs) The Godfather, yeah, I mean, (laughs) truly, 
I could sit here for the next 17 to 47 hours and name all of the movies about men. And I could sit here for an hour and name the movies about women. Like it's, Mm -hmm. it's, I have had to relate and find a way to feel empowered by male movies for my entire life. And I've had to find a way to be like, yeah, you know what? I was watching, I was watching The King with Timothy Chalamet, (laughs) and I just thought, that could be me one day. I could definitely see myself as a rogue little bastard king. That's totally, that's totally my experience in life. Like, that's such bullshit. We have to get to a point where we're okay with it not being so palatable for them. We have to be able to just, like, say it. And I think this while this movie does make it more palatable, it's a great entryway, especially this scene and showing yeah. um, the power of, of women. And, um, and so, yeah, I think this is a beautiful scene and it's a beautiful moment in the movie. And um, yeah, so I, I very much, this is my favorite scene in the whole movie. It's so, so good. Definitely. Well, and there's, there's one more thing to um, about this scene at the end. So Steve is obviously a spy and he's dressed as a German and so at one point, one of the warrior women, they say, um, what kind of man fights against his own people? And he says, well, they're not my people. Yeah. I'm just dressed like them. And it's interesting because he is fighting against his own people. He's fighting against man. Like man is fighting against man. And so these Amazons are like. Well, he says, I think that he says something like, effective. Oh, they're not my people. And, and one of the women says, well, why are you wearing their colors? They're a man and you're killing them. Right. That's true. That's true. Never mind. Exactly. I took it as like a deeper meaning of like he is fighting against his people though. Like man is fighting against man, which is Diana's whole thing is she thinks Ares is controlling right. him and that he's making men fight against men when really it's, you know, way more complex and sad than that. But um <laughs> but yeah, so then we obviously meet Chris Pine. He's hot and kind and sweet and I love him dearly. And Diana rescues him. Um, before we're done, we do have to just quickly mention they're such mm-hmm. a great comedic pair together. Like they're so funny and natural. I feel like together, like when she finds him in the little hot spring Oh, it's amazing. and he yeah, doesn't have any clothing on and she is like staring at him, I think is just such a delightful little scene between the two of them. And also <laughs> Chris Pine improvised a lot of his scenes and he improvised right. that part where he talks about man being average and he's like above average. Which I think is hilarious right. because she doesn't even care about his penis. Like she's just not even focused on that. She's just like thinking about it from a purely anatomical perspective. Um, but yeah, he ended up improvising several of his lines in the movie for comedic effect. And I just think he was like a perfect choice for it. Um, and she had thought about casting Liam Hemsworth. Oh, he was great. And also somebody else. I can't remember who she thought about, but I just think Chris Pine was like perfect for it. Yeah. He's like, I think that he's soft enough. Like, I think that he is a very kind person in real life. And I think that that comes across in his acting and just like a kindness to him. Um, There's one more thing I was going to say about it. Oh, she, um, so she obviously has him, you know, nude in the movie and Diana's never nude and he's nude. And said that she was like, well, it's flipping this way. Women have been nude enough times in movies. And I thought it would be a treat to have a guy be nude. And I thought that was so wonderful. Um, and speaking of that really quickly, I'm just going on a lot of tangents here before we wrap up. The women, mm-hmm. I had, I wanted to talk about their clothing and I came to my own conclusion of like, they're obviously very like scantily yeah. clad. But honestly, 
if I were around women all the time and I wanted to be comfortable, I would wear nothing. So (laughs) it makes sense to me that she doesn't really wear anything because that would be so comfortable if you're in this like hot island. Well, yeah. And I think that later that kind of comes up when she says, you wear this kind of thing to fight in. Like, (laughs) feel comfortable and we'll come back to that because there's some things that I have to say about the scene but like I think that um yeah I think I don't I don't see uh, what she wears in this as being sexualized and I very much appreciate the movie for that reason because I don't think she is uh although she is objectified and that's something that we should talk about later on um because that's very frustrating to me throughout the movie I mean I think it's indicative but it's very frustrating still um, I think that uh, she's not sexualized, and I appreciate that about the movie. The movie itself doesn't sexualize her, and um, yeah, I think that, that that they did that very well. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> well, I think that this is a good stopping point. Yep. I'm going to have to edit probably a bunch of pauses out, and it's a little bit shorter because we're fully two hours. I'm so glad we got to talk about the first part of this, so we'll go we'll do a second part this week and, and record it and release it. And yeah, we'll for sure. Thank you for having me on, even though but I'm not like a, a movie critic or so good at that. And talking about Wonder Woman. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Well, I don't know that I could keep up with I you, but I always have friends on, but now I just think you should be my co-host on here. You're so good at it. Um, so yeah, so we'll we'll do another episode and talk about the movie this time and not just the history for a long time, but we'll talk about the movie. And then on the next episode, we're also going to talk about um, what movie mm. we'll do next. Um, well, yeah, so next time we'll definitely, <laughs> we'll talk about what movie we want to do next. Um, but yeah, thank you. If, if you've listened to this podcast, if all four of you have, um, thank you for listening. And we will be back this week with another episode. And then we will hopefully be back next Sunday with an episode, um, maybe on Ladybird, maybe on something else. Um, and then to end, I actually wanted to do a segment where our co-host is now what I'm calling you or our guest um, recommends a female musician or band to listen to for the week. So. Hey, you there. <laughs> we lost time. We ran out of time. Literally, we're at the very end, and I guess two hours is the maximum. Oh, time. my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. Okay. okay. Well, this to answer could, your question. Yes. This, first of all, this could possibly be a, a second episode. A third episode is just this small conversation. But I would like Sarah to tell us a female musician or a female band that she would like everybody to listen to. Okay, so I... Or non-binary or trans, you get it. Yeah. All encompassing. I feel like I, um, growing up, I almost exclusively listened to female bands always and female singers. um, And uh, I think that has as much to do with my um, femininity and my feminist scope as it does with my queer identity and queer scope but mm-hmm. I I think that I have to I would have to say my favorite female band or my favorite band right now the band that I listen to so much of the time is um is first aid kit so I would say that yeah. if I could recommend one for right now especially in this time when we're all contemplating who we are hopefully and yeah. everything about ourselves because we have so much time to do that right now yeah um first aid kit would probably be my recommendation love them so much and uh they're like the band that I can like 
like turn off the lights, sit in darkness and listen to them and contemplate on myself. So, and on the world. So that's my recommendation for the week. Good. All right. Everybody listen to first aid kit. And then we will have a new podcast episode up after this one, talking about the movie and finishing up our conversation about wonder woman. So we hope that you all come back. Thank you for listening to the first very long episode of femme film. And we hope if you have any comments or questions or um, or curiosity or whatever you have, if it has to do with the movie or it has to do with how you feel represented or don't feel represented, we would love to hear that because our goal while doing this is to truly be as representative as possible. So whatever you feel, we would love to hear feedback from you. So mm, amen. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being on here, Sarah. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you all for listening. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye.